Welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable podcast, the only show that dares to be both on topic and usually on location. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT luminaries to discuss a single concept. In this episode, we're talking about the way that the cloud has been transformed by enterprise IT. Before we begin, let's meet our panel today. Hello, I'm Max Portillaro. I'm co-owner and analyst at TechnPlug, and you can find me on Twitter at Dark Avenger. My name is Adam Post. Um, I'm an infrastructure architect, and you can find me at, on Twitter at semi underscore technical. I'm Tom Green. I'm the owner of GreenComp, and you can find me on Twitter at Tom Talks Tech. And I'm Stephen Foskett, organizer of Tech Field Day and publisher of Gestalt IT. You can find me on most social media networks at S. Foskett. For a long time, we've noticed that uh, enterprise IT is adapting to the cloud and adopting cloud concepts and cloud technologies. But one of the things that we've noticed over the years with our Cloud Field Day events and the on-premise IT roundtable, including the Cloud Field Day event that happens just this week, is that the public cloud is changing too. In fact, a lot of enterprise IT concepts and focus on data and scalability and availability and data protection, all of these things are starting to become part of the public cloud experience too. So enterprise IT truly is transforming public cloud. Adam, I wanna start with you because frankly, you're the one who pointed this out to me. What do you think? Uh, is the enterprise changing the cloud? Yeah, absolutely. I think cloud vendors had, had initially started from the premise that they started offering customers what they think they should have. And, and architecture in the cloud meant something different than it, than it meant on-premises. Um, but now as the uh, first movers that kind of align with that approach have kind of already transitioned to the cloud, they're left with those gigantic enterprise customer base that they need to still address. So now it seems like the, the, the change in direction has, has been you know, especially change of marketing and messaging from these uh, cloud vendors is, is that they're trying to give the customer more of what they want, which is more of largely what they, uh, largely more of what they have, right? But they just want this somewhere else or delivered to them in a different way. And I think that's what we're seeing with uh, solution offerings like VMC on AWS. Pretty simple to spin up what uh, what is commonly referred to as a cloud environment, right? But it differs significantly from a traditional public cloud architecture and that things are accessed in a very similar way and it is very simple to move your existing way of doing things into a new environment. So I think that is a primary driver for some of what we're talking about here in the, the enterprise changing how public cloud vendors are doing business. Yeah, of course. And one thing which is interesting in what Adam was saying is that, you know, there were first adopters which went away those hyperscalers were kind of, you know, advocating the, the right way to do IT in the cloud and so on. If you think about it, you know, AWS was built primarily to serve Amazon purposes, which is not what every company in the world is doing. And the, 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 there was this kind of initial, let's say, apprehension from organizations. Of course, there were people which were kind of thinking forward and were trying to adopt this uh, kind of, uh, you know, cloud uh, architectures and so on. But if you think about it, a lot of enterprises, a lot of organizations are pretty much conservative. They are using applications which we could qualify today as legacy or monolithic. And they have kind of segment, a segmented approach to doing things. So they, they kind of want to, to have the ability to replicate uh, the, the kind of the operational model that they have on premises. And that, that implies, you know, the, the fact that 
they they will not always be adjusting or fine tuning to uh, to cloud native uh, way. Uh, I mean, right, like running containers or. Uh, uh, doing serverless and so on. There are many applications and refactoring those applications is a lot of effort. So there has to be a kind of a ground, a middle way where the cloud providers meet the enterprise. Yeah, uh, I definitely think that cloud is having to adapt to to the remaining enterprises. Uh, a lot of applications that enterprise IT uses can't even be refactored into the cloud native uh, DevOps lifecycling. Uh, either the vendors that create them don't support that or the code is so jumbled that uh, the company owns it, but they don't necessarily know uh, how to split it out or it doesn't work correctly. And whenever you have that kind of an application that's very important to your business, uh, you're not really going to want to spend the time to to split it out if it's been working fine for five, 10 years. Uh, so I do think that a lot of the uh, cl uh, cloud options are uh, coming in and adapting to that and helping a customer get that you know workload into their cloud with the way that they need it uh, in order to be supported and also to run appropriately. Yeah, I've heard that called um, inside out cloud computing and they don't mean inside out meaning reversed. They mean inside out meaning taking what's running on the inside and running it on the outside. In other words, um, moving uh, enterprise applications from you know, the data center into the public cloud, as opposed to outside in, which maybe is the more visible aspect of cloud computing, which is where you take uh, hyperscaler concepts, like I think Kubernetes is the poster child of it, and you bring those into the data center and into the enterprise, and you try to figure out ways of running things that used to be in the outside on the inside. And to me, when somebody explained that to me, it really kind of switched a light bulb on, because I realized that certainly uh, outside in are the things that get all the attention in the press, but inside out is perhaps even more important because if you can't run enterprise applications there, then it's not gonna be adopted by the enterprise. I mean, they're, they're really results oriented, right? Yeah, the uh, enterprise companies, they care more about you know, being profitable and bringing profit to shareholders than they do about what you know, cloud or what the deployment mechanism of their applications are. Uh, so if if the vendors can't meet them where they want to be, uh, can't help them meet their regulatory requirements with you know little friction, then they're not going to go do that. They're still going to to maintain their old practices. So uh, that's really a big shift, and really where I've seen a lot of growth in the past few years is the uh, different vendors are are doing that inside out. I really like that term, by the way. Uh, that's very appropriate, I think, for what what is actually happening now as cloud is starting to mature. Yeah, and, and there's another aspect to what you're saying, Tom, is that a lot of companies are trying to not just to be profitable, but to kind of uh, grasp what can be reached, you know, immediately, you know, uh, kind of the low hanging fruit to use a, a buzzword. So they're, they're really trying to figure out a way to, to get there without too much collateral damage, without too much investment. So uh, really the, uh, the, 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 quickest, the quickest way forward to, to get in there uh, without having to uh, kind of re-architect all of their applications. Yeah, and kind of adding on to that, it's like you were mentioning previously, in that initial, uh, when cloud services were, were, were first offered the initial initial barrier to entry was pretty idealistic, right? You needed a cloud center of excellence staffed by cloud experts. You needed to architect your applications properly in alignment with all of these core principles. But 
handling all of that on my on the front end it, it slows you down right so uh, it seems like things have uh, uh, you know at the end of the day the meter starts running as soon as your workloads start to hit AWS and I think uh, this is a, a real driver behind what we're seeing uh, uh, the cloud companies are saying okay well maybe we can compromise on some of these ideals on the front end maybe we'll stay engaged with the customer and iterate on this and to see if we can gradually correct and bring things into alignment with that more ideal state as time time goes along. So not only does that lower the barrier to entry on the customer side, it increases engagement over a longer period of time uh, with the customer. And you know, cynically speaking, it, it increases profit because it starts the clock for for billing uh, more immediately. You know, being the devil's advocate, though, um, I wonder if a lot of these technologies that allow enterprises to use uh, public cloud infrastructure, for example, without having to re-architect their environments. I wonder if that's actually detrimental because they're not really getting the benefit of the cloud. Um, I have sometimes, uh, you know, used a derogatory term to describe that. I said that, you know, it's a bridge to the past instead of a bridge to the future. In other words, we're trying to make sure that things that used to run still run and kind of putting band-aids on it, putting it in a package, putting it, you know, in a virtual machine and, and throwing that up in the public cloud instead of saying, uh, hey, let's actually transform these applications and, and make them run in the future, uh, future infrastructure. I mean, make them cloud native. What do you guys think? Well, if I, if I can say a word on that, I think I absolutely agree with what you're saying here. Um, it, it's, it seems that uh, even the, the objectives of organizations are not that clear in there. So what is the driver behind that? Is that, uh, you know, uh, is that a financial uh, matter? Is that a matter of, you know, uh, ticking boxes in terms of uh, goals? For example, if you think about it, uh, going to the cloud can, can be a, a nice, let's say, way to do some kind of uh, financial wizardry, right? You can move from a CapEx model to an OpEx model. You can, let's say, better uh, make your balance sheet look better for investors, whatever, because you're just spreading things out. I mean, it really depends because if you do it, if you do your lift and shift operation badly, then it can really hurt your uh, your wallet. But there's also the the idea of okay. Uh, if, if you have a strategy which is we're going to move half of our workloads to the cloud and all you really do is just I take my workloads and I just lift and shift them to the cloud, then you have not achieved anything. You're just moved them from one place to the other, but you're still bringing your kind of technical debt with you because you still have to support the application as it is built, right? So you, you're not really making any kind of innovation. You've effectively moved workload from one place to the other and you're, instead of paying upfront for whatever uh, hardware or data center costs, you're just spreading them out. Another thing whenever you're you're talking about that is you also have to consider the data that's involved and how you're going to manage that data because if you're just doing that lift and shift and the data um, is all within those virtual machines, you have to protect that in a, in a different way than you might do it on premises. So um, you know, you've got companies who are coming in and you know, helping you with that like disaster recovery, back, you know, backing up the data. You've got you know, the Zertos, even Kasten is doing it in Kubernetes. And uh, the beginning of the cloud, when I was first starting to, to learn it 10 or more years ago, however you know, long ago it was, it was you kept your data in object storage and you took snapshots of you know, volumes and, and you didn't need a backup solution. But you know, as it's coming along, the enterprise uh, mindset of well, I need to go back to this backup. I need this backup program to manage my data, you know, for me. You know, that's also come along with the with the whole package. So you've got 
that to contend with too whenever you're going up there and you know how do you keep your data management cloud native or do you even need to at this point so if you're just packaging up your technical debt and moving it into the future then that's not really going to do it and i think that for me one of the things that's been most exciting in terms of seeing how enterprises transforming the cloud is to see new services that are not a bridge to the past, but are actually a bridge to the future for enterprise applications. So uh, you mentioned, for example, Kasten, which uh, you know is basically data protection for Kubernetes workloads, and uh, you know it, it basically is modern infrastructure except with enterprise concepts behind it. And I think that that for me is the thing that I'm looking out for. So let's talk a little bit more practical, like which. Um, you know, what products, what companies, what things or concepts are you excited about that are actually providing a, a new cloud service for the enterprise that are not just let's package up our technical debt and keep it running? One of the things which is interesting with, with what you just described and with the fact that the enterprise is somewhat transforming the cloud, I think that in my view, uh, the enterprise is not just bringing in, you know, kind of tying the cloud to legacy things. I think it is bringing more maturity to the cloud. It is bringing the cloud to a level where the services provided are not just here's a bunch of things for you techies to work with, but it is really bringing features which help organizations. If you think about it, uh, tiering capabilities, you know, the ability to have immutable snapshots which help with data protection and so on. Uh, the, the fact that most of the major data protection companies uh, now are offering uh, enterprise great capabilities in the cloud and so on. I think that's really great. Uh, so it's not all about uh, the enterprise bringing a legacy along the side, but also about you know, helping cloud providers to, to understand that organizations need uh, higher levels of availability, resiliency, and so on. It's kind of a, a basic tenet, but I really like seeing how uh, you're bringing enterprise concepts like say a um, disaster recovery site, which used to be extremely expensive to build, and you can actually take that and it becomes a global option. Like if you want to be able to globally uh, protect your data, protect your your services, uh, the cloud really brings that uh, to the table. And then there's you know, different ways that you can accomplish that, but it does allow you to modernize and uh, procure that kind of protection, that kind of uh, you know, data services a lot more affordably. Uh, so I definitely think that that's a place where where it's it's enabling people to think differently. You don't have to set up a whole infrastructure running warm. You can you know, use it do the with the code. You can do it with like a you know a Zerto or something to uh, protect that to get that going. And you know it'll just spin up the infrastructure for you if you have it architected right. And that's a really good. Uh, cost-saving driver to to consider how to manage your enterprise applications as if they were cloud native. Thinking back to part of our previous discussion that you know we're talking about the enterprise changing how cloud providers are are, are doing business, but it's not just a one-way change that is that is taking place here. So in attempting to tackle a transition that requires a lot of change, a lot of planning and strategy, like a transition to the cloud. It's almost forced a, a refresh and, and caused uh, IT organizations to up their game as far as really identifying the value of their applications and, and data and figuring out you know, what should be placed 
in certain locations and why? And what are the roles and responsibilities and governance associated with the various systems in, in our in, uh, that exist within the business? The whole cloud conversation has forced this to the front of our minds. So organizations that are attempting to do cloud, there's a secondary benefit in that the whole IT uh, organization is benefiting from the difficulty of that pursuit, if that makes any sense. So if I can jump on that, what you're saying, Adam, here is that it's not just about the organizations, but it's also about IT departments and the people themselves. Because you know, before the cloud became mainstream, uh, people were just living and managing their infrastructure the way it was always done. And suddenly the cloud started you know, picking up speed and it was seen as a threat, right? So people were kind of seeing that, okay, my job can now be replaced by whatever operator which is running things at scale and our IT department will be gone. And so people and organization had somehow to reinvent themselves to, uh, to be more competitive. So there is, as you said, this influx of innovation, which was, the, that the organization needed to grab the context of how things are done in the cloud. But I think that it had also a very positive impact on the people themselves. People which suddenly, even you always had kind of people which were more proactive in doing trainings, in learning and upping their game. But for a vast majority of IT professionals, they were not caring, you know, they, they were doing their job the way they've already always done it. And suddenly, there is this big menace here, which is, okay, if I don't adapt, I'm going to lose my job. And I think it was really something which kind of brought some flesh blood somehow, some fresh blood in the, in the organizations. And to continue on that, um, the fresh blood hasn't just happened in the IT organizations, it's happened in the product vendors and the cloud companies. And I think that to me, that's one of the things that is really an interesting aspect here. Everywhere you look from, you know, the big guys like AWS down to, um, you know, very, very popular, uh, true born in the cloud hyperscale companies like, for example, Nginx, who we're going to hear about at Cloud, cloud Field Day, um, they've brought in people who really know the enterprise and they've had those people working on product management, product development in order to develop truly cloud native products that are appealing and practical for enterprise users. And I think that that really is an interesting angle as well. So the people have transformed the products and have transformed the cloud because they're enterprise people, because they're people that have a background in this stuff. And, you know, I mean, we're seeing that, for example, with Morpheus data. I mean, those folks came from enterprise tech and now they're developing cloud native uh, orchestration tools. Um, you know, it, it uh, to me, that that's, I think, another way that the enterprise IT is transforming the cloud. Yeah, you definitely see that. You see that with uh, the different hiring practices of those. Uh, whenever you, you have to follow kind of the money, I guess, but uh, the, the enterprises, they need to have different ways to manage and to deploy their, their applications and what they're actually doing. Uh, so that's something that I've really noticed is there's a lot of data services, there's a lot of compute services, and API was really the the way to consume that. Uh, but now it seems like a lot of the API, a lot of the companies are developing plugins and easy to use you know, graphical interfaces for uh, for people who aren't comfortable in the command line or who can't just wrap their head around you know inner code and get you know, serve storage or inner code and get a hundred servers. So. Uh, is actually very nice for um, helping those people consume services 
uh, and knowing that they're treating enterprise like a first-class citizen and not, you know, the word legacy has always had a negative connotation, but now uh, the enterprise is being treated more, I don't want to say fairly, but, you know, they're being given more attention uh, now than they ever have with the cloud. AWS is a good example of, of this, how they have gradually, you know, they, they started really with that pure cloud mentality and, and really, it, I, don't, I, I don't believe they would really um, address hybrid cloud as a thing for quite some time, right? And their messaging and their, their whole approach to, uh, to offering these types of services to customers has, has completely changed. Uh, foundational services that would be required for your typical enterprise, extending Active Directory into the cloud, uh, hybrid DNS services, uh, the uh, you know the the addition of VMC on AWS. Now we have a common hybrid hypervisor platform across uh, multiple locations. All of these, if we would have said you know started talking about them maybe in 2016 or so, or so um, you know I'd be shocked to think that Amazon would be heading in this direction. But I I think that just goes to support the overall point that um, you know the, they've the enterprises have un untapped the market. Uh, they they need these types of services and and you know gradually the, these companies are responding to to that kind of demand. Well, how about uh, one of the ultimate cases of this of sort of cross pollination between enterprise and cloud, and that is uh, the person of Mr. Gelsinger over at Intel. I mean, here's somebody who uh, absolutely has a uh, has, has switched between those places, right? And it is trying to bring these concepts and bring these things together. Unlike, I think, almost anyone else in, in the industry in terms of uh, executive leadership, at least, you know, here's somebody who's really trying to stitch those two things together and build um, something enterprise, right? Um, you know, he, between VMware and the the thought that he was going to go over to, to to Microsoft previously before that, and then he's back here at, at Intel. Um, you know, it, it, Intel, I guess, if, if it has success in the cloud, it would bring enterprise concepts, right? Yeah, one thing on, on Intel, uh, or rather on, on Pat Gelsinger, which is interesting, is that he's been, he's been there for such a long time at VMware, and you really had the opportunity to see the cloud grow and, and see that it's here to stay. If you look at the beginnings, you know, with what was it called, VMware, vCloud Air, or whatever was the name of the product, they saw that that had no chance of sticking around. And 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 the, the fact that he's been, you know, strategically working with AWS and other partners in expanding VMware services to the cloud, I think it has also given him a view of what the cloud holds and what's happening on the back on the background of the cloud and i'm thinking more about the hardware side of things uh, those accelerators of float cards the the rise of new architectures the fact that gpus are, are kind of uh, taking up as well for hpc and ai workloads so i think that it has it had given him a, a clear idea of the all that uh, kind of intel needs to catch up with to to stay relevant and competitive uh, in, in the years going forward. It's interesting that you mentioned the accelerator cards because of course uh, those were pioneered in the cloud, but now they've become a thing in the enterprise, whether it's DPUs or the like the PlyOps uh, storage accelerator, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and if, you, if you look at it, the, the way PlyOps are doing things, uh, it, it's, it's a, 
uh, I mean, it, it's a solution which, uh, of course, can be used on premises by organizations. But if you think about it, the way they've built and they've architected that thing, and sorry to digress a bit from the, uh, what we're talking about, it's something which would perfectly well run in the cloud. So that also gives, you know, enterprises, organizations, if they need to accelerate some workloads, that they need to run in the, in the enterprise, they should have in theory the ability to do the same in the cloud with using the same underlying hardware architecture. Workload portability, right? That, that, that's a great point. And now that brings to mind something else I wanted to throw in. So what else, what other change needs to happen? A lot of change has happened, but we still have some things that are pretty uh, significant. You look at them and you're like, that's still a thing. Uh, some licensing policies, right? It seems like there are still some companies, especially uh, in companies that are used to selling to the enterprise market who are very static in their thinking. They're used to that giant bag of cash being presented to them uh, at, the, at the licensing renewal time. And if you, as the customer, decide you want to use their product, for, for one, if you still want to give them your business, but you just want to do it somewhere else in the cloud, that there's going to be some sort of uh, odd penalty associated with uh, with doing that, like just because uh, maybe a vCPU on-prem is licensed differently than a vCPU in the cloud, uh, looking at Oracle over here. Um, so any thoughts about changes like this that would st you know, we'd still like to see? Yeah, if I, if I can say a word again, uh, I think the, the most important or the most exciting thing perhaps is around application refactoring, but it has one big uh, problem, right? It costs money and it takes time, it's expensive, and the outcome is, you know, my application is going to be more agile, I can release it in faster cycles and so on, but is it worth the effort of doing so? So that's that's the, the main challenge I see there with application refactoring. Otherwise, it opens the door of opportunities in doing things in a linear way and, and so on. And something you know, that I'm just curious, I know there's been a few uh, start and stops on it, but is you know, increasing availability on, on infrastructure. Uh, if you're using one of the native infrastructure tools, you, my VMware centric mind thinks, well, it should always be up. And if something fails, it needs to you know, restart and, and this and that, but that you know, is a cloud concept that I don't think is fully fleshed out unless you're on like a VMware uh, platform on the different you know, cloud providers. Uh, and then you know, integrating it into into different cloud services or for persistent data and relational databases. I think there's a lot of room for uh, vendor applications to to adopt that kind of architecture because uh, not every company owns the code for every app or is you know responsible for supporting the apps, even though those apps are making them money. Uh, so so it's just really interesting to me that there's some you know very major applications that are not don't do support on cloud vendors. So, so uh, I, I think what you were just saying, Tom, kind of, kind of ties back into what I was talking about uh, with the application refactoring, because one of the benefits of refactoring your application is that you're moving the, the availability and uh, you know, uh, uh, all of the data, let's say not protection, but the fact that the application is running up, all of these things, you're moving them up the stack from the infrastructure to the application level. And then of course you can benefit from all of the cloud capabilities, you know, availability zones, regions and all. And it, it, it just makes it way easier than to, uh, to, to kind of manage your application, making sure that it stays always up. So you're really, uh, then, then you get to the point where you can really cut down, let's say the dependency you have on, let's say uh, legacy architectures uh, on the infrastructure level. 
So one other area I think that uh, we've seen enterprise impact uh, cloud is by, as we talked about earlier, kind of hardening uh, cloud services and, and making them frankly better. And uh, one of the greatest examples of that that I've seen recently is this Hazelcast application, which was something that I wasn't all that familiar with. But I think that a lot of us are used to sort of scale out NoSQL, eventually consistent databases. And we kind of look down at them because, you know, oh, those things, they're useful for maybe a website or something, but not real data. And, uh, you know, here again, we've got a case where a company has, you know, brought in people with enterprise background and created sort of a, a, a supercharged version of that that is more enterprise appropriate and appropriate for better applications. And um, there are so many ways that we're seeing that, you know, the same thing with MinIO with their object storage platform, right? They've taken uh, what was really kind of a, an oh yeah cloud storage and turned it into a really interesting storage platform for enterprise data. So it, it is uh, just amazing to see across the board how much the enterprise has transformed the cloud even now. Uh, before we finish up, uh, I'll just give you guys a chance. Uh, any last words on the way that enterprise is transforming the cloud? Let's start with you, Adam. Yeah, and, and lastly, I, well, one of the big ways I've seen enterprise transform uh, cloud is the seriousness with which data protection is approached. Uh, it used to be recommended that you take an EDS snapshot or you just you replicate your S3 bucket somewhere. And, and now they're seeming to take it much more seriously by developing dedicated services to meet those specific requirements of enterprises. AWS backup comes to mind. Uh, improving relationships with outside partners who want to add on to that functionality. Casting, Zerto, right? Um, so I think that's a, um, uh, an area where we're seeing a lot of change that will be ultimately beneficial uh, to the enterprise. Yeah, I, th I think you can see uh, very clearly where the um, enterprise has influenced cloud and the native services that are created for uh, migrating the workloads. Uh, migration, you know, it sort of kind of does the lift and shift for you. It, puts it into you know infrastructure containers for like like Azure uh, has their migration services and it does the planner. It can really help you get your uh, services into into the cloud native space, which is interesting as a change of we'll do it for you because we know that it's hard, it's very expensive, and we want to to help you ease your journey. Uh, so whenever you're looking at this the migration tools and how it creates a nice landing zone for um, for these services, you can tell that they're really putting a lot of the thought and effort into um, the these services, making them ready for enterprise. Uh, one, one thing which is uh, which is interesting is that uh, the, the cloud has been a space where you could you, you got the basic building blocks and and you you had someone to figure out a way and it's that's something uh, that the most of the vendors have uh, grasped really well the the fact that they've seen the gap that the cloud had, the public cloud had kind of, you know, some, I wouldn't say some, some kind of uh, gaps or rather lacking areas, you know, and, and they were able to use those building blocks to, to bring enterprise great features, capabilities, you know, you're talking about security, you're talking about data protection, resiliency, and so on. And, and they, they really helped uh, kind of facilitate the adoption of clouds by enterprises ultimately. 
So uh, that that's uh, and 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 really, it's a good opportunity for them. For those which were able to to see that opportunity, grasp it, and and uh, not let it pass through, actually. Yeah, I I think that it is pretty exciting to see uh, this sort of co-evolution of the cloud with the enterprise uh, tech world. And that's what we're going to be talking about this week at Cloud Field Day 11 and, of course, uh, all the time at uh, Cloud Field Day because that's really what Cloud Field Day is about. So before we go, uh, I'll just give you a chance. Uh, where can we connect with you and uh, continue this conversation? Uh, Tom? Sure, you can connect with me on Twitter at TomTalksTech and on my blog at GreenComp.com. Uh, you can connect with me uh, at at semi underscore technical on Twitter and semi dash technical.com, uh, which is my blog. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at Dark Avenger with two Ks and otherwise on our blog at technoplug.io slash blog. And as for me, you can find me here at gestaltit.com every week on the uh, Utilizing AI podcast and uh, the Gestalt IT rundown and alternating weeks uh, here with the on premise IT roundtable. So thank you very much for joining us and listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this discussion, uh, please do subscribe for future episodes and also maybe share this with your friends and uh, give us a rating or review on iTunes since that does help. This podcast is brought to you by gestaltit.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to gestaltit.com slash podcast. Thanks and we'll see you next time.